0: amen. Good morning to you. Happy New Year. Uh, I want to say hello to our uh, Western North Carolina campuses. Good morning. Glad you guys are with us. Um, we're excited. This is going to be a great year. I thoroughly believe it. Not just a great year, but a great decade. 2020 is upon us. It's here. Y'all sound excited this morning. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm really fired up about this morning. And um, I mean, just for many reasons, it's an honor to be with you guys, open up God's word, but then really, to just really realign our lives. I think, you know, the new year brings a lot of great things. It brings anticipation. It brings um, great hopes. It brings uh, opportunities, fears, uncharted territory for many of us in the room. And so this year is going to be a great year. It brings the new me. Uh, my wife was joking around the other day. She said, well, one pastor said, everybody wants a new me. And one guy said, I can't wait to meet all these new people. Amen. <laughs> because everybody's just this new me, right? This new me, this new me. But one thing the new year has to say, and I think we can all agree to this, that um, the fact that we have New Year's resolutions, the fact that we have this this new idea, this new anticipation of actually being something different than we were in the previous year, I think it really underscores the fact that we all agree that we are all under construction. You and I, we're not where we want to be. Some of us, we want to be better husbands. Hopefully, if you're a husband, you desire to be a better husband. If you're a wife, you desire to be a better wife and all these great things, employee, grandfather, grandpa- you know what? That, grandmother, doesn't matter. We all want to be something. So we're all under construction. And some of y'all, we're just y'all are just a, a piece of work. Amen. Just a piece of work. So this new year, what do we have to look at? I mean, typically when you come into New Year's, you want to, you make new goals. You have goals for work, goals for marriage, goals for your health, all these great things. But on the top of that list typically is the word happiness. We all, were on a quest. Pastor Bruce hit on this, I believe last week or a couple of weeks ago, but we're all on a quest for something. Every single human being, we are on the quest for something. Stay with me. If you're breathing in the room, you're on the quest for something. Typically, nine times out of ten, that's something that's just it's pure happiness. So Psalms, we're going to drop, dive into Psalm 1 today. It's going to be a, a great text. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you're going to take notes, I encourage you to do so. Uh, we have a lot of ground to cover in just a short period of time, but Psalm 1. You know, and typically sometimes what kind of helps us get a linear thought on a year is a word. I got one word, right? I got a word for the year, whatever that word may be. For me, the word is intentional this year. I told my wife, intentional intentional in the full sense of the word now i could try to be intentional all i want apart from the word but that ain't going to be that that's not going to help anybody so i got to make sure my intentionality is rooted and grounded in scripture and so if you guys as we as we open up the god's word as we open up the text today i want you to think about one word that word is scripture Th- this is going to be the the catalyst for which you change the Bible is going to be the reason for which you navigate through uh, seasons you, you, didn't thought, you didn't think that you could navigate through. It's going to be Scripture. It's going to be God's Word for which allows you to stand in storms. And I want to tell you this, the Psalms is that word. Psalm 1 is the key to all the other Psalms, by the way. Just a, just a little backdrop historically. It's the key to all other Psalms. The word Psalm means, it means songs. So I would say this in my own uh, Mine, I would say, Psalms is the greatest hits. That's really what it is. It's the greatest hits. In other words, it's the greatest hits about the work of Christ, Christology. There's Christological, if you will, Psalms. There's a boatload of them in Psalms itself. And so these are the greatest hits about, I would say, Jesus and what's going to happen in his life. So let's read our text today. It's a short, short deal, three verses. Pull out a couple key thoughts, and then we'll dive on in. This screen is further back than I thought it was. Amen. I I don't know if I was talking and it started scooting back. I don't know what was going on. Y'all see that east? I don't know if y'all see that. So here, but blessed, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Look at the description. I love it. He is like a tree. She is like a tree. This young man, he's like a tree. This young lady, she's like a tree. This senior adult, they're like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit fruit in its season. Notice, its season. And its leaves does not wither, and all that he or she does, they prosper. This is a great text for many reasons. I think it's a very familiar passage, and I've read it multiple times throughout the throughout my years in ministry. But there's something I think we we gloss over. If we go back to verse one, we'll look at it here on the screen. If we go back to verse one, it's this idea of blessed or blessed. I guess it depends on where you where you live. If you're in the south, it's blessed, right? If you're up north, it's probably blessed. But but blessed blessed is the man. I think it's very easy for you and I to actually just gloss over and go right into the text and just miss this whole idea of what is, what is the psalmist saying? What is he actually after? And I, asked, I had to ask myself this question in studying, um, why is this person blessed? Why is this person blessed? Because typically in our natural natural minds, what we do is we get into the word and we say, blessed is the man who walks not. And we go right into the text. We just nestle right into the scripture. But we have to stop and do hermeneutics and exegesis to understand why is this individual actually blessed? And I don't want to turn to the dictionary to get our definition. Really, the word blessed means happy. In the Hebrew and pretty much in the Greek as well, this blissful or favor. Um, position or disposition God has shown upon mankind is used 26 times in the book of Psalms itself. And so I said, and in other words, let's don't look at the dictionary to get our definition. Let's look at biblical, just a biblical survey of what the text says about the word blessed. Y'all good? Let's do a survey. First one is this. Blessed, and we'll come back to our text. Blessed is the one whose transgression, transgressions is forgiven. Notice this, blessed, I highlighted those for a reason, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. So in other words, the psalmist is saying, blessed is the person who knows good and well, even though they tow up from the flow up, all my transgressions have been forgiven because of the cross. Uh, I'm blessed because of that why because whose sin is covered blesses the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity Martin Luther went on record to say this that um, if you truly understand this passage and what the word blessed really means He said you'll be doing backflips and cartwheels In your soul. Why because you understand this position that you have in in the Lord. Let's go to the next text ooh Old taste Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Why don't y'all say, everybody say taste. Everybody say see. Is he bad? No, he good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, notice this, blessed after the previous Um, uh, clause if you will he says blessed is the man who takes refuge in him so in other words if I had like a little marker I can draw on this deal we would definitely do that but here it is I can circle refuge in him why because the psalmist is saying here it is David as he writes he's going I have safety in God's refuge and because I have safety I can taste and I can see that the Lord is good that's what he's saying I can taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't have to guess about this deal. I don't have to assume. There's no assumption. There's no rolling of the dice. I know why I am blessed, Psalm 65. Blessed is the one who who you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Notice this. We shall be satisfied. That's a key term right there. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your, your house. Why is this person blessed? Why? Because they're dwelling in God's courts. And because they're dwelling in God's courts, they're dwelling in his presence. And because they're dwelling in his presence, they are straight up satisfied. Are y'all seeing this? This this biblical survey of the word blessed. Uh, Wes, are you seeing this? This is, we can't just bypass this and just go, blessed is the man who walks not. Yes, we got to pause for the cause. Psalm 89, last one. Blessed are the people who know, that's a key word, by experience. Know the festal shout. In other words, this victorious shout. Who walk, so here it is, who walk, O oh Lord, in the light of your face. Here's the key thing about this. They're blessed because it's not as if God is sh- frowning on their faith, uh, their face. He's actually smiling at them because, uh, because of the fact that they walk in him and they know him and he knows them. So blessed. So based on this, I think we understand what the word blessed is. It's this real reality of what God has done for you and I. Blessed can mean this. It means this. In other words, it's a deep conviction of thankfulness and, and gratitude because of one's new position in the Lord and in Jesus Christ and this new spiritual appetite. It's a new spiritual appetite. So the first thought is this. If you're a note taker, it means this. Bless. We're blessed by knowing and not by doing. This is very important. As I study this text, I'm like, man, how can you just really, I don't want to do hermeneutical gymnastics with this deal, but how do we really um, make sense of this very familiar passage? We're blessed by knowing, not merely by doing. In other words, we see in this text, as you continue to go on, we discover what the word blessed means. He goes on to say, "Um, blessed is the man, woman, boy, girl, it doesn't matter, who walks in the counsel of the wicked, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, excuse me, nor stand in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You see the progression. In other words, I can capsize this and say this. Sin is never satisfied. Let me just start out for the record. If you want to try sin out for 2020, let me encourage you with this. Sin is never satisfied. And we see the progression in our text this morning. We see the fact that this individual, at one point, he was intrigued, began to walk in the counsel, the advice of the wicked. Then he began to stand, he was more so began to be lured in by this advice or counsel. And then he was lured in to, to actually stand in the way of sinners. Not in a way in the sense of get out my way, but stand in the, uh, the likeness. Thank you, um, Bible scholar right here. It's good when people throw stuff at you like, yeah, I'm glad it was right. Amen. That's good nor sit in the seat of scoffers. In other words, you're all in now. I'm no longer just intrigued. I'm no longer I'm lured in. I'm now I'm all in for whatever this may be. But sin is never, never satisfied. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and demand from you a price you're not willing to pay. That's what sin would do, doing. we see it in this text. But why did we do such a biblical survey on the word blessed before? Why? Because if you and I, if we do not look at um, this text right here with Christology in mind, with the work of Jesus Christ, and understanding that the Bible is all about Jesus, it's about him, it's to us, but it's all about him. And after, if that's the case, we have to understand this is the point the psalmist is trying to write. In essence, in the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted. In the New Testament, he's revealed. In Acts, he's preached. In the epistles, he's explained. And even in Revelation, he is expected. We're talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus, by the way, he's the only one that can fulfill all of these things in this text right here. Jesus in himself, you and I, if you're a Christian in the room, if you're a Christian at, um, at Hendersonville, Lord, yeah, I know y'all Christians over there, amen. So, But the point is, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Here's the deal, Jesus was the only one and the only one who can actually accomplish this. Yes, he walked with people during his time of ministry on earth, but he didn't live like them. So he's the one truly that can to ultimately can fulfill this requirement. Because if we don't keep Christology in mind as we read this, we can easily slip into reading this text with a moralistic mindset. In other words, we can read it in a sense of it's just the do's and don'ts. I want to be the goody, and those on the outside, they're the baddies. Right, I, I'm the goody, and so I, I, here's the do's, here's the don'ts. As I walk through Psalms, as I read the Bible, I, I want to make sure I check my list on religion. I, the do's and the don'ts. I don't want to do this because if I do this, God's going to be mad at me, but if I do this, he'll be um, um, pleased with me. Let me just um, debunk that thought right now in 2020 on the first Sunday. There's nothing you do in life that changes the way God views you. There's nothing you do. But why, Marcus, why is this so important? Because in him is the fullness of joy and his grace is sufficient. And so, in other words, the Psalmist is saying this we got to make sure we see this with some Christological eyeballs. Because if not, we will, you and I, naturally, what we'll do, we will read this in the flesh. In other words, how many of y'all in your relationship, you made the first move? So, Husband to the wife, y'all are dating, you made the first move, like, I'm, I'm going to holler at her. Amen. Brother man said amen, like, this, amen, right? How many of y'all made the first move? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Six people raise their hand? Hold on. How, hold on, too long ago. How, how, hold on, how do we get here then? How, are we, how do we have all these relationships then? It's funny because my wife and I, when we share this story about how we met and all this stuff, it's always two stories. Isn't that crazy? If you're married in a room, there's always two sides of the story. Here's my version. I went and preached in Chicago. I was at a, um, a D-Now deal. My wife was serving in uh, this student ministry, she was actually volunteering at the student ministry that we, we hosted this event at. And she came the last night. I don't know why she came the last night, but she came the last night and uh, she saw the bald head preacher. I had hair then, but she saw the bald head preacher. and She said, Oh, that boy there looked good. Now, see, on my point, I'm standing in the back. I was kind of kicking back. And my mind was fixed and focused, ready to preach God's word. And um, I, was, I was solely fixed. I, I hate to share this story because for me, it sounds as if I went to go preach and I picked up a chick at the same time. <laughs> that, that's what it sounds like. I mean, you, you can't dice the pie. You're going you to be diced in so many ways. So, when she shares the story, it's completely different. And, and for the record, stay with me exegetically. Here's what the psalmists want us to know going into 2020 that Jesus, God, made himself flesh. He made the first move. Before you knew yourself, before you knew your name, he said, I love you, and I made the first move. Let's not get the story twisted. I made the first move. So, therefore, that's why you're blessed. That's why you're blessed. That's why we're blessed. And that's why the person says, I can delight. That's why I can delight because I have this union. God made the first move. It's not the other way around. Jesus uh, completely is able to accomplish and flesh out all of these, the walk, the stand, the sit, in himself. And because I'm in him, it's as if the Lord is saying now, because if you're in Jesus, he's saying this, West Asheville, he's saying, uh, just join me. Because if we don't have strong Christology, and it's based on God's word, by the way, Jesus is the word, but if that's not the case, trust me, saints, we will always default to self-righteousness or, or self-works. You and I, we will never drift to worship, but we definitely will drift towards works. We never drift towards worship, and so, uh, uh, but we drift towards works. And so here's the point. He said, I delight now. He says, my desire for God is greatly fueled or fueled by my need for him. The psalmist understands, and he's going, man, bless it. I know why I'm blessed. Thank you for the covering. Thank you for your sovereignty over my life. I know why I'm blessed. And because of that, I desire righteousness. I desire to disassociate myself with certain types of people. However, the text do assumes that we do life with people. The text is not saying that we ought to live like monks. The goodies, I'm the goodies, and those are the baddies outside. Now, we live in Asheville in Western North Carolina. Uh, it can get a little cray-cray out there. Amen. So it's not as if we're in this great holy huddle and those are the baddies outside. That's not the case. That's not what the writer is saying. It's interesting because he's assuming that we do life with other people. And as you look at the relationship that Jesus had with the disciples and his ministry, he embodied what we ought to embody even in today. In other words, he meshed and ministered and socialized with these type of people to show the disciples and even us in 2020 how we ought to really live a blessed life. It's loving him and then loving other people. He said, I delight. Why? Why do I delight? Because my appetite changed. My appetite has completely changed. It's not enough to just simply be a Christian. Hear me say this. It's not enough simply just to be a Christian. It's not enough just, uh, just enough in 2020, I'm going to try Jesus like I tried alcohol, like I tried cigarettes, like I tried whatever it may be. It's not good enough. Or it's not even good enough to go to church. It's just not good enough for those things. It's even not good enough, I'm going to step on some toes, right here. Not right here, but right here. You hear me? Here it is. It's not even good enough to say this, I'm going to let go and let God. The psalmist said, I have to engage. There's something in this because of what he's done first. He came first. He made the first move. Therefore, I got to delight and I desire to delight in him because I see my need for him. In essence, he's saying my whole appetite changed. The object of my delight has changed. I no longer delight for the things on the outside or the things that used to lure me, but my delight is in the Lord and in his word. We're going to see that in a little bit. So whatever you delight in, this is always funny when you think about this, you honor it, you magnify it, and you make time for it, whatever it may be. And so this is a very easy point in your life to just pause and go, what do I truly delight in? Delight is like finding ultimate satisfaction and just this this I can't wait for or to spend time with or to do this or whatever the case may be. So for me, I love going to I love to eat. Amen. Anybody like to eat? Amen. Some of y'all are like, man, that's my resolution. This dude up here talking about eating, right? Your palm's sweating right now. So you go, you go to uh, I like to go to restaurants. I like to go to restaurants when it doesn't matter what you order, everything's good. Y- y'all with me? Somebody said, woo, boy, you over there, hungry the mug. And anyway, so but I like to go to places where Everything you order is good. So you, you can bring somebody to this, to this restaurant and say, hey, man, and they're like, hey, uh, excuse me, uh, what should I get? I mean, you order whatever you want to order. Because everything is good. But I've never seen somebody, and even myself, look at a menu, and I study the menu, I meditate on the menu, and I delight in the menu. I delight in the fact that I love this menu, and I know, in a sense, um, I read the words, but I kind of really don't know, but whatever the case, I, I, I look at the menu, but I, don't never, I never order I never actually order, but I leave and I go, Woo! boy, I delighted in that. Here's the, here's the irony of that. Here's what the Lord doesn't want us to do in 2020. It's very easy to be in close proximity with God's word. It's very easy to look at it but not allow it, what? It is the, the qualifying word, is the word. Not allowing the word or scripture to transform literally your life at a soul level. Pastor Bruce, the other day, he said this. I thought it was brilliant. He said, um, How many of us at the, we know we need help on the, oh, the soul level? Like, like I, I, I'm, I, Lord, I can't do this by myself. I can't navigate in this marriage by myself. I can't navigate this addiction by myself. I can't navigate with my family struggles. I need you. In other words, the writer is saying this you just don't delight in looking at the word, you delight in ordering and allowing that to take root in your, in your soul. Here's another thing, it's just not about, it's not about something, it's about someone. And here's one thing I think this will will help a lot of us. Even I jotted this down in my study. As you go into 2020, we're gonna focus on God's word. Obviously, this is kind of the whole point of the reading plan in your seat. But focus on consistency and not intensity. Focus on consistency and not intensity. Why, Marcus? I'm very intense, I love to get in the Bible thank you that's good for you but the point is when you and i focus on intensity first and solely we the chances are we can miss the intense the consistency and in the consistency is where we begin to delight it's in the consistency when we begin to see God, we begin to realize that, oh, I am blessed, and, and thank you that I can taste and see that you are good. Thank you that uh, uh, you are a refuge for me. Thank you for all these things, and it's in you and you alone. Apart from you, I am nothing, John 15. But it's in this point of consistency, and, and it's not just merely intensity. So we approach God's word on God's terms. In other words, you and I, I love this. When you, when you approach God's word on his terms, the word has a way of getting in the areas of your life that you will say, man, you ain't got no business in there. The word has a way of creeping in and getting in some spaces where you typically try to hide and maybe there's some cobwebs. In other words, you say, if that's the case, you say, Marcus, there's some things I really want to change. There's some things in my life I want to change. I told you, I want to be intentional. I want to be intentional in my marriage. I want to be intentional with my girls, all three girls. Four women in the house, pray for me, amen. Straight up sanctification. It has nothing to do with anything, but I just thought I'd say it. <laughs> but when you get to that point, as you begin to read your Bible plan, and you do Genesis, and you may do Job, and then you may do a Psalm, and then a minor prophet, or whatever the case may be in a couple New Testaments, if you will, here's what you want to ask Lord, uh, God, you're right, I'm wrong, and by your grace, help me to change. That, that's really at a soul level. That's what we're after. That's the, the quest that you're after. You are desiring to really fulfill and experience what the word blessed truly means. And Yes, it's happiness. I understand that. But it's hard to really have happiness outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of the times when we pursue happiness is based on, y'all know the rest, is based on happenings. It's hard to change. It's hard to really allow the word to get inside of you. Well, here's a point I want to make. It's like back in the 80s when, when people used to show up at our house. And it was okay. Remember how people unannounced would just show up and it was fine? Y'all remember that? Some of y'all laughing. Like seriously, like when people just show up, they just pop up, boom. You're like, oh, hey, how you doing? But there was no reluctancy or just kind of nothing on your end. You're kind of like, hey, man, how you doing? And uh, oh, you got some uh, treats. You got some chips. You brought some cookies, whatever you brought. Man, hey, come on in, man. It's good to see you. See, that was the old Marcus. Now you show up at my house, I'm like on the floor like military style. You, you just don't come to my house unannounced. Don't, don't do it. People come, I'm serious. My wife, I'm going, Why are you doing that? This is the truth. Amen. This is in the Greek. This is truth. You show up, I see a car pull up. I'm in the blinds like this here. I don't know what's going on. I'm looking at everybody in the house. Who's expecting somebody? I'm looking at Nene. She's three. I'm going, Who are you expecting? Nobody. Right? Then my mama show up. Mama, what you doing showing up like that? No, I'm just playing with you. <laughs> here's the point I want to make. Showing up unannounced. That's what scripture will do when you delight in it. It will, it will show up unannounced in areas of your life where you say, man, I don't know if I want God to really permeate him and, and, and per- penetrate that area. Well, here's the point I want to make. Here's, a, here's what we all often say. I get nervous, Jesus, when you come into my neighborhood. I get nervous when you come into my neighborhood. I know I ought to delight, and we're going to talk about the law in just a little bit, but I know I ought to delight in you. You are, the, you are the living word. You fulfilled the law. But I get nervous when you show up in my neighborhood. Why? Because you look at where I stay. You know exactly where I stay. You see I live in a place of dis- discouragement. You see that I live in a place of shame. You see that I live in a place of addiction. You see that I live in a place of deep disappointment or self-righteousness. And, and here's the point I want to make. God knows where you live and He knows how you live. God knows where you live and how you live. And here's the the, the good thing about it when, when Jesus shows up through scripture in your life, he's not coming empty handed. That's the worst too. If you're a guest, you don't show up now, At least come with something, right? Jesus is not coming empty-handed. He's coming with victory in his hands. He's coming with mercy in his hands. He's coming with grace in his hands. He's coming with straight-up forgiveness in his hands, and he's coming to let you know that that I love you. The Bible says he meditates on his law, law, Torah, but not just exclusively the Torah, first five books of the Bible, but it means God's instruction or the totality of God's scripture, even including the Ten Commandments. But the funny thing about the law, he delights in the law. As you read the law or the Ten Commandments or even in Scripture in general, you see two phenomenons. You can look at the cross and see this as well. You see this vertical phenomenon, God coming to be with us. He made the first move. But then also you see this this horizontal phenomenon that what we experience here ought to impact what we do and what we experience on this side too, horizontally. That's the Ten Commandments. First set of them is about God, right? And many theologians will say if we got the first one right, not having any uh, God before him, that we can get the rest of them right. But here's the point. The Ten Commandments is God and then others. You say, Marcus, how are you linking this to this text? Here's how. Stay with me. But his delight is in the law, all of it, of the Lord. In other words, the Lord is the He's the origin of the law. It originates with him. I would rather have one good, I would rather have one God thought than a whole bunch of good thoughts. A lot of us, we go into a new year or a new season like this, and we want a whole bunch of good thoughts. But you know, I'm going to tell you something. I would rather have one good God thought versus anything else. And see what the writer is saying? It's hard to really be blessed and, not impact, and that not impact other people's lives. Let me, let me show you real quick. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, new delight, new appetite, deep seated rooted. Why? Because of my new position in the Lord. Bless, oh, taste and see. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. The law, the full counsel, God's word, Ten Commandments, everything. Genesis all the way to maps. Everything, it is everything. And so here's the point I want to make it's it always impacts other people. And this text is very interesting. I was really wrestling with this. Like, how do you, it's really hard to really be blessed by the Lord. And this is what the Lord told Abraham in Genesis 12. Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but through you, through you, all nations will be blessed. It's similar even here. He's saying, blessed is a man. If you're truly blessed by God, then guess what? That blessedness will make its way into the lives of other people. Somehow, way, it's going to begin to download because the fact, if you're truly delighting in him, that will be shown and seen in the lives of other people. So the text is assuming that we, you and I, we do life with unbelievers. Uh-oh. Can you open up your phone right now and, and text two unbelievers and say, hey, man, I'm praying for you? Like right now. Probably don't do that. Server go down. Or something don't do that. Amen. <laughs> but when you leave today, I mean, don't don't try to make up somebody. But this is a good application point. Can you truly just go? You know what? I'm I, I've been living a very hand-sanitized Christianity, and but the text says, man, if I'm truly blessed, the fullness of this word, before we continue on the rest of the text, this blessedness, because of Jesus Christ, because he made the first move, and his word shows up in places, and he, he comes with gifts. He comes bearing victory. and comes bearing new perspective. And if that's the case, guess what? That blessedness will begin to make its way into the lives of other people. It naturally, it, it naturally will. And it's like this, well, when you begin to discover new things, my wife, Um, in other words the text is saying we're we're not to live like monks okay isolated trying to be holy trying to be right and righteous that's what monks would normally do distance themselves from the society or the the city they'll go to a tower somewhere out in a distant land and they'll say man that's just evil and they'll just stay in this spot and they'll just kind of be hey I'm gonna get close to God right here but apart from ministry so my wife it's funny um you know, you, you study your wife. Peter tells us to study our wives, right? And so, I didn't. I didn't come to Mandy and when I proposed, you know, December first, uh, two thousand and eight. I'm getting that right, amen. So, y'all saw my my brain was working, boy, overtime. Uh, but I didn't propose to her and go, "Hey, babe, I'm I'm proposing to you today because I've studied you, right? I, I've studied you. I know your kinks, your corks." Right? I know all this stuff. I know. I know I've studied you well. Therefore, will you marry me with that very white voice? Baby. Right? (laughs) Will you marry me? No. What happens, I begin to study her. I knew that she was my wife, begin to study her through the years, but I messed up one day. I always used to get her like milk chocolate. Always, milk chocolate. I was like, I'll be, be out and I'm going to grab some milk chocolate for my queen. And then I go and I give her milk chocolate. She, and she was so polite like the first couple years on that deal. One day she said, bro, I don't even like milk chocolate. <laughs> I like dark chocolate. I said, oh, yeah, I forgot. Amen. There y'all made so. But as you journey with your spouse, and if you're not married, Uh, This is a great application point for you. Amen. This is a marriage tip. When you study this individual, you begin to learn even more and more and more about them. And here's what the text is saying. Make sure when you delight in the Lord, you delight fully in the whole law, the full counsel of his word. Why? Because if you do so, you will discover more great things about the Lord. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him just as he is. Why? Because you will begin to impact your area by God's grace. You want to see a revolution, a revival? Lean in and delight in the Lord. Delight in him. He says, well, verse 3 says, well, you delight in of the Lord, but we meditate on it as well. Meditation is just a picture of mumbling to yourself. That's all it is. That's what it means in Hebrew. It means to mumble to yourself. Just to mumble. I used to mumble when I was a kid all the time. I did a uh, science project one day, stood in front of the class. It was like, mum, 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 And, the, and the, prof- the teacher said in sixth grade, he said, man, Marcus, you need to speak up. I said, I am. I'm... I'm prolific. I can hear it in my head. I'm doing good. And the class, everybody looking at me like this. I sound like Charlie Brown's um, teacher, literally. Starts so to mumble. Even my mom would say, Boy, you better stop mumbling. So it's this idea of mumbling. That's the picture mumbling to yourself. You remember the lady with the issue of blood when she went through the crowd? She heard about Jesus. She, had, she tried all these different avenues to heal herself, but then all of a sudden she heard about Jesus. She heard that possibly, just maybe, he could do something. And the Bible says as she was going through the crowd, she was saying to herself, If only I can touch the hem of his garment. If only I can touch the hem of his garment. This is the picture right here. She was mumbling to herself, meditating on what she had heard. Meditating on the word of God. Meditating on the possibility that maybe, just maybe, God will do something. It's like a cow. A cow will begin to eat, chew, take a nap, wake up, chew more, take a nap, wake up, and chew some more. on the same could. Why? To get all the nutrients out of what they've eaten. You see, a Bible, y'all have heard this before, but a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who is not. And that's, that's what you ought to be after this year. And by the way, when you look at the Bible, you don't read the Bible just to read the Bible. You don't read the Bible just for mere knowledge. You and I, we are to encounter the Bible to meet the God of the Bible because He wants to meet you and I there. But then the text says that we're rooted. We've got to be rooted. This new year's priority ought to be this. I'm not trying to do more for God. Remember, we're blessed by knowing, not doing. Uh, I'm not trying to do more for Christ. I, wanna, uh, I want more of Christ. This is what I do. I want more of Christ, and most certainly, I want him to have more of me. Maybe that's a great line you ought to park there, but then it says, the Bible says, that we, our roots determine the fruit. Our roots determine the fruit. Where you're rooted, that's going to determine the fruit that you bear. you bear. The Bible says he's like a tree planted. I do have a picture right here. Um, should be in there. There it is. A little neat little picture. A little stock picture. You know how it is. Hey Amen. You find that deal. But, but a, a, you see the roots are, it's on the soil, but because of the proximity, it's still in the water. Here's a beautiful picture of this whole imagery that the writer is writing. He is like a tree planted firmly. You see that, West Asheville? You see that Hindo? Like a tree planted by the streams of of water. Planted. Let me ask you this question: where are you planted? Own ambitions, own goals, own prerogative, own agenda, but are you planted in the Word of God? And here's the beautiful part about this: by streams, of living water, by streams of water. Streams here in the picture is this, it's never ceasing. It's never ending. It's God's provision. It's like Lamentations 3, 23, um, that every single day God's provision is there. Your grace and your mercy is there new and afresh every single day. I'm thankful that we don't serve a God who gives us microwave leftovers. That every single day you and I can experience, we can experience this. So why don't we? Why don't we lean in? And plant ourselves. And this word plant really means to transplant, to be in a place that's in a better, it's a better conducive environment for growth. So some of us, you need to be, you need to move the environment probably probably that you're in. Maybe some stuff you're looking at, maybe some friends. I talked to somebody in a lobby a little while ago. They said, man, I just need to really kind of, man, hey, that rubs off. But you still got to do ministry with them and do life with them and reaching for Christ. But why don't we? You see, if you look at that picture, Spurgeon said this, half-hearted Christians is the most miserable person on earth. They are just enough in the world to be miserable in the presence of God. They're just enough into God to be miserable in the world. So this this whole idea, but the writer says, "No, I want to be planted. Why do I want to be planted? You got to answer the question, why? Why? Because I'm blessed. Well, what does blessed mean? Well, because I have this new position in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He made the first move, and He allows His word. When I delight in Him, it begins to permeate areas of my life. It shows up and announced. And at what I do, I say, Lord, I don't. It's hard to change, but uh, help me to change by Your glory and by Your grace. You're right, and I'm wrong. I desire to be more like You. I don't want to do things, more things for You. I want more of You." and I certainly want you to have more of me. That's the whole point of this song. That's it, saints. And so why do we do that? Well, Jeremiah 2, 13 says that we always pursue broken cisterns. Well, the Bible says that the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, uh, the fountain of living water. Interesting, right? The fountain of living water. They've forsaken me. And what, Okay, what's on the back end? Now, what are they doing? They are... They build cisterns that can't hold water. So we'd rather go to these streams. It's not even a stream. It's stagnant, stinky water. So you say, Marcus, man, you I really need this. I love the text because the text says this. It yields its fruit in season. You see that? In the latter portion, he meditates on that word day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaves does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. This is kind of, it's very interesting because you go, man, what, this is not prosperity gospel. This is not, you know, it's not that. That's not what the text is saying. And if anything, if you're a Christian, if you live long enough, you know that um, this thing is a struggle. It can be hard. So what is this saying? When you and I understand the true blessedness of what God has done for us, we will begin to have a new delight. Our delight will change. Our appetite will change. Our delight will be in his word, the full counsel of his word. We will have a desire for him and other people. But not only that, we will realize on a constant basis that he made the first move and his word always finds its way in areas of our life to change us and make us look completely different and more like him. And if that's the case, guess what? I will yield fruit. It's in the sense of this. When you're in a circumstance, you can be in a circumstance in 2020, but that circumstance won't. Have you? You can be in a hard time in 2020, which, by the way, uh, based on this number, we're gonna journey down this road. But when you and I, when we were close to Him, we're planted by the streams of living water, what happens is we yield fruit. What does the fruit look like? What are you talking about, Psalm? In other words, it means peace and chaos when the time comes. Faith to trust. In other words, to forgive when I don't want to forgive. Power to overcome. That's where our next series coming up in just uh, uh, next week stick to itness versus quittingness, if you will. When I'm ready to quit, I want to hang in there. I want to hold on to God's promises. She so said, Marcus, I don't have this desire. Well, guess what? It's a great place. This is a great place to repent right here. This is a great place. I don't have this, this hunger, this, this appetite for God's word. This is a great place right now to say, God, change my heart. Change my life right now. Because if I truly want to see things of um, eternal significance, and this is the last portion of this text, if I want to see things of eternal significance, in other words, I want to change on the soul level, and then from the soul level, we'll begin to impact the outer level. Guess what? I have to repent and say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. By your grace, please help me to change. Right now. You can do that. Religion says this, if I obey, then God will love me and accept me. The gospel says this, I'm loved and I'm accepted, therefore I wish to obey. That's it. Eternal significance. The Bible says in all he does, he prospers. Eternal significance. Eternal significance. Are you living just for the right now? Are you living for just the day to day? He meditates on my word. He mumbles the gospel day after day after day after day. Living in light of eternity. Well, I'm glad because one one hymn said this, down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied, singing glory to his name. I am so wondrously saved from my sin. Hallelujah. I hope y'all got a hallelujah in in your mouth this morning. I am wonderfully, uh, I can't even say the word, I'm so excited. I am gratefully saved, Amen. amen. Saved from my sin, Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where he took me in, singing glory to his name. Oh, precious fountain that saves from sin, I am so glad I have entered in. There Jesus saved me and keeps me clean, singing glory to his name, glory to his name, precious name, glory to his name. This is what the psalm is saying. I long to have that. In other words, you're saying, Marcus, okay, well then, how do I do this? Let me land a plane. I'm two minutes over. Amen. Here's what you do. First one is this. Here's the how. You determine the time and place. Determine a time and place. If you say you want to delight in the law, meditate on it day and night, you and I, we have to decide and determine a time and place, ready to read the Bible each day. For me, for whatever reason, it's hard for me to read in my house. I do read in my house, but I got to get out and have a place that I can get there and just marinate and, and meditate. Jesus had a place. That's one. Number two is this. It's about consistency versus intensity. Remember this. So in other words, if you start the Bible reading plan, you'll get to Leviticus and think you lost your mind. That's still God's word. Remember, I meditated on your law, all of it. So there's something there. And if Jesus is the, the purpose and the means of, he is, the, he is scripture, he's fulfillment of scripture, all of it, then therefore there's something in Leviticus for you. In other words, when you get to Leviticus, it's, about, it's not about perfection, it's about progress. Just remember that. The next one engage with the text, engage with it, circle, ask questions on the margins, have some highlighters, man, engage, why did Paul say this, why, what happened here, what what was going on in the culture, Um, um, uh, who's the author, ask these questions, engage with the text, then also put the text in a a place where, you know, you can frequently see it, maybe in your car, maybe uh, on your windshield, maybe on the mirror, maybe in the kitchen, but you meditate on it, and then lastly, Decide on a game plan. Decide on a game plan. That's why we gave you this, Saints. This is, this is, the, this is easy right here. In a sense of it's already laid out for you. Decide a game plan, reading game plan, but accountability too. Who's going to co- hold you accountable? Are you in a connect group? And out of connect groups, we've launched D groups. And so in other words, are you a part of a, a D group that will hold you accountable in the Word of God? I love it because the psalmist said, guess what? I'm blessed, oh blessed, blessed is the man. I see why I'm blessed, do you?